Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an anime discussion podcast. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Noah Carden, and joining me as always is... Aaron J. Shelton. And we are here in episode six? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. It, it's a number. Number redacted? <laughs> We're here with a new episode. Uh, <laughs> yes. Of Satoshi Gon Heads, uh, where we're going to be covering uh, Cone's animated series, Paranoia Agent, uh, or rather the first seven episodes of Paranoia Agent. Uh, so, uh, Cone, Cone kind of returns to uh, a, a more uh, imagination, dreamscape sort of uh, method or or visuals uh with paranoia agent which uh began production in probably 2003 considering that it first premiered in 2004 early 2004 in japan uh, it's it's kind of like i said it's it, it does return to the more dreamscape kind of uh imagery that we're used to compared to like tokyo godfathers but also kind of blends in that suspense thriller um nature that we got from like perfect blue yeah i i I mean every episode i think we we've we've talked about how close to david lynch he can be and this is sort of this is definitely the i think main thesis for that comparison definitely i definitely think um when when people kind of draw that conclusion or that comparison this is like the probably the the most solid evidence for something like that it's a you know dream logic mystery thriller kind of thing that most kind of closely lines up with like twin peaks and some of lynch's other works but uh twin peaks for sure um but i don't think where twin peaks is supposed to be sort of an homage or a pastiche of like soap operas of the time, I don't think paranoia is going for that sort of, um, I don't want to say tongue in cheek, but you know, that, that sort of, um, parody playing with that sort of genre is, it's a bit more straightforward for the most part. I don't think it ever doesn't really take itself. It, it doesn't not take itself seriously. Most of the time, you definitely get some very sort of humorous aspects to it, but it's not like, uh, it's not trying to joke about the, the, the sort of subject that is going on. I think mm-hmm. uh, in, in an interview, Cone described the series as a Denpa Kai, D, I, I, Romanized, D-E-N-P-A-K-A-I. Um, and that is a Japanese term for someone who may feel disconnected or disassociated from the people around them. And that can kind of include like delusions or fantasies. Uh, and I guess Denpa literally means electromagnetic wave. Um and so, mm. like, in the original sense, it's like someone who thought they were receiving voices or instructions, like, directly into their brain because of electromagnetic radiation, which does definitely come to play. <laughs> yes, um, that's, that's really interesting, yeah. Um, and I guess, as far as Denpakai, I guess that term, it, it was originally coined because uh, there were, unfortunately, uh, a series of killings in 1981. and. Fukugawa, uh, and the man who uh, he apparently committed these killings because of paranoia and resentment from his employers, and then later claimed 
that he was being influenced by radio waves. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, yep. You, I mean, you made it cone. That's <laughs> you described <laughs> it perfectly. You did it, bud. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like I mentioned, the, the series first premiered on our, our favorite network mm-hmm. to pronounce. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, February 3rd of 2004 ran until May 18th, 2004. An auspicious day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say one of the best days of the year. <laughs> I would say that as well. <laughs> uh, Genion got the license for the anime in North America uh, and began releasing on DVDs October of that year. Uh, and also relieved, <laughs> it also received uh, a, a the first volume on UMD. <laughs> Thank- the most the most universal of formats. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. I got so excited. I, I I'm glad that somehow one of the hallmarks of this podcast is is it on UMD? <laughs> is it on UMD? And I think with a lot of our, you know, a lot of the shows that we talk about uh tend to be in like this early 2000s period, at least when they were coming over to the states. So, that's prime UMD time, baby. That's at the same time kind of a ripoff because I w- I was looking through eBay. Uh-huh. I think there were a hundred bucks a pop. It's pretty <laughs> crazy, Aww. but um, you only get two episodes. Really? Oh, one- that's mm. I know it's unfortunate. Like imagine if they did the full set and you just <laughs> that's your entire UMD wallet, which was a thing. Oh boy! Store all your discs. <laughs> It's an odd number of episodes. Would one of them just have one episode on it? <laughs> so they got to cram three in there. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Um, UMDs could hold. If we kept, if if we stayed the course, UMDs would eventually just hold so much. <laughs> yes. Yes. They'd have a. They'd have gigs of storage. Uh, where's my Blu-ray UMD format? <laughs> Did you get the three-part <laughs> Ultra HD 4K? <laughs> yes. UMDs yet? Uh, it's like when Titanic came out on VHS back in the day. It was two VHS tapes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so, <laughs> straying away from our favorite topic, UMD, uh, <laughs> the English dub uh, came to Cartoon Network's Adult Swim in 2005 and ran in Canada on uh, G4 slash Tech TV in 2007. And then in 2020, uh, we got the the Blu-ray release uh, from Shout Factory? Uh, Funimation, I think, handled this one. Funimation, yes, that is correct. Funimation uh, released the, the, the Blu-ray edition with a steelbook in October and then the regular general Blu-ray release in December. Uh, the music, as we talked about in our Susumu Hirasawa episode, uh, was performed by him with the opening theme, Dream Island Obsessional Park, and the ending theme, White Hill, White Hill Maromi's theme, being performed by him. Uh, uh, Cones apparently came up with the visuals for the intro, which we'll get into, uh, by listening to Hirasawa's album, Blue Limbo. The main visual being uh, just people laughing where they shouldn't yes it's a it's a very striking visual i think uh before coming back to this series when i had first watched it during its run on adult swim that imagery is like the the thing that stuck out stuck out to me and like stuck with me the most uh is is that opening um, 
that and the the visual of Maromi, the the mascot character mm-hmm. um, that we'll get to in just a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's a thirteen episode series, as I kind of mentioned. Um, obviously directed by Shutoshi Kon, uh, created by him. Um, I believe he did the the primary like story for everything, and then you know he would have writers come in to do the individual episodes. Uh, there's a, a a list of like uh, supervisors, episode directors, and uh, and storyboarders that would come on to to work with him. Uh, Takeyuki Harao, uh, Michio Suzuki, uh, Takuji Endo, uh, Atsushi Takahashi. The main plot, I th- uh, we kind of danced around it, but it, it is effectively an anthology series. And it centers around the mysterious character of Shonen Bat, a.k.a. Bat Boy, a.k.a. Little Slugger, um, who's a teenage assailant uh, with golden inline skates and a golden uh, and a golden bat who will assault people uh, seemingly when they need, you know, at the, when they're cornered emotionally, as, this, as the series says. And the very beginning of the series is this... We'll follow one character, and then the next episode will follow a side character that was introduced in the first episode, mm-hmm. and kind of leapfrog like that. But each one involve, but each episode usually involves someone in emotional distress uh, or a certain psychological issue, how they deal with it, and how Shonen Bat comes into play. But then the last half is like, here's how all of this is connected. Yes. Yes. I think it's a really neat sort of way of doing an anthology series where it's not all of the events aren't completely disconnected from each other, but it, they're all linked together by like a character from like the episode before. Um, I think that's a, a, a really neat way of going about it. Um, and it kind of ties into the the overall kind of story that kind of all comes together towards the, the latter half of the series. Um we, we get a couple of police detectives that are looking into this case um, that we get kind of dotted throughout all of the episodes. But like the, the victim of, of Little Slugger for that episode, you'll get like a hint or like see them in like a scene or two in the previous episode. And I think that's, that's just a really neat way of, of handling the sort of anthology-like nature of it. This is really what... Cone, I think, excels at. And mm-hmm. we talked about it before, especially when digging through his manga, I wish he could have done more serialized uh, work. Definitely. Because this is just, because Parent, I mean, we Parent Wage is super solid. It, it's the, we de- we talked about just doing this as a season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, but there was just too much, too much Cone, but like not too much Cone that we could go through. Mm-hmm. That we wanted to, but uh, yeah, just a really good way and format for an anthology. Um, Apparently, uh, the show, the ideas for the show were kind of ways to recycle unused ideas that Cone had from his previous films. Um, uh, A quote from him, in the case of a film to be shown in theaters, I'm working for two years and a half, always in the same mood with the same method. I wanted to do something that allows me to be more flexible, to realize instantly what flashes across my mind. I was also aiming at a sort of entertaining variation, so I decided to go for a TV series. Yeah, that's, uh, and I think coming to it now, uh, especially after watching all of his like previous works, you know, in relatively short 
time period, it's really easy to see that, like, um, I guess we'll kind of talk about when we get to those episodes, but there's definitely places where I can say, like, oh, this is a lot like, you know, Millennium Actress, Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, there's obviously, like, a little bit of, like, there's those those notes of like perfect blue or something like that here that you can you can see kind of coming through. Um, that yeah, I mean that that totally makes sense and totally makes sense from a creative point of view. Where yeah, if you are dedicated to like this one project for like two plus years, you're gonna be having all these other ideas on what are you gonna do with them, and having a show to do that makes perfect sense. Yeah, move. In case y'all didn't know, movies, especially animated movies, take forever, and that is your life. Mm-hmm. That is your life for years. One thing. It's a very involved process, especially <laughs> if you are, you know, like the director or, you know, somebody of that importance to it. You've got to be there like 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, people who are, are lower on, on the status or like, you know, lower in the production like cycle, they're a little bit easier to kind of move in and out of it. Um, but yeah, when you're there overseeing everything, you, you've got to be there the entire time. And it's, 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 I can imagine it's maddening at points having, having to, uh, not being able to go do something else for a little while. Yeah. After, after three movies in a row, I can see how this is super appealing. Yeah. And, you know, ideas weren't the only things that were recycled. Uh, I think in, again, in another interview, Cohn talked about, how they were able to recycle backgrounds, like from Tokyo Godfathers. Mm-hmm. Um, even like animations, like some train animations are the same from Tokyo Godfathers. Um, and then he, he kind of went on a tangent about how digital, going, going to digital and like, again, working through Madhouse uh, and having kind of the same crew really helped to, to be able to actually do that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, he has his production team, mm-hmm. and that makes things. I can imagine making that things a, a lot easier when you know you have been working with these people for so long that you know they kind of know what to expect and know how to how to help out and and make sure everything goes smoothly or as you know as smooth as possible. Um, I mean, it's, Madhouse is they they are a top notch studio, and and uh, Cohen was definitely lucky to have them on board. It's. I, I, it's similar to something they did during the old studio system days mm-hmm. in Hollywood, uh, where like your A picture and A movie and B movie, those terms kind of come from where like you have your big stars for this A movie, but you know, they're in a castle set, but like, Hey, we don't need to tear this set down for three days. Or B movie unit's going to go in and like shoot. Now that we have, <laughs> we have a set and hey, let's just make some movie. And then throw it up there and make some money because we have the resources around. But, you know, you I don't think we really – I don't think about it in terms of animation. So it's cool to see that sort of, hey, man, we, we have all these things. Let's put it together. How can we put it to use? Yeah. I, th- I think you typically see stuff like that, that reuse of animation within a singular show mm-hmm. more often than like between shows, like, you know, reusing like walk cycles or particular, you know, backgrounds or even like, you know, like you were saying, particular scenes, like scenes of trains, stuff like that. That happens all the time within like a single show, like the one that's jumping out 
to me immediately is like Evangelion. There's plenty of reused shots in mm-hmm. Evangelion, but you don't see those shots typically carry over to other series. Um, so it's it's definitely interesting, especially like them reusing stuff from a film mm-hmm. in a TV show. Like that 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 kind of jumps out at me that I would imagine that like the level of detail and things like that would be so much higher in a, a film just because of like production costs and things like that. You get a little bit more range than you would with a show. So reusing that for a show definitely kind of, I could see that potentially elevating the perceived, you know, production of a, a show where you have mm-hmm. these much more detailed, uh, backgrounds, like ready to go. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, it, since it's all within Madhouse, you don't. I feel like with an animation to do something like that is also like, do you get do you get into a rights issue? Mm-hmm. But I suppose since it's all Madhouse, maybe it's cleared. Who knows? Yeah. Um, like who owns, like who owns the movie versus like who owns this animation cycle within that movie? Right. Right. Um. It's cool to see him talk about like embracing the digital workflow of animation because I think he also referenced like so what we would do in Tokyo Godfathers is like someone like animated smoke somewhere mm-hmm. and we're like well we just kind of shrunk it down flipped it and now that's uh, car exhaust. <laughs> Early two thousands. This is really sort of when the the kind of transfer from a more physical mediums you know putting ink and paint to pieces of cellophane uh, it is now, you know, transferring over to that digital sort of production cycle, like you're saying. And it's, it's really interesting to see them kind of grok it immediately. Like, like doing those like kind of like little tricks uh, like right away. It just seems like really amazing that they, they, they got a hold of it that quickly uh, and that early into, you know, the, 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 that sort of phase of animation in the world, which, I guess you could also say that it's, you know, it's kind of a necessity since you only have so much time to, to animate. You're going to look for any sort of, you know, shortcut that you can that, you know, still works and still looks good. Like, it, it makes sense. It, it was cool to hear that tidbit because we, I think we've, we've heard Cone talk about, like, the theory of animation and the theory of film and the more artistic why these things work together versus like this might be the first time I've heard him like actually talk about like the craft and like actually doing the thing and the techniques in there. So it's cool to get this part of him, even if it's just a a sentence or two. Yeah, definitely. In 2009, uh, there was an announcement. Yeah, they announced plans for a film adaptation of the anime that was going to be directed by Takashi Shimizu, uh, who I think we, we... I forget where we talked about him before, but he's the director of Juon, uh, as well as the American version, The Grudge. Uh, I guess he was in talks to redo it, but it just it just fell apart. Yeah. He also did a live action Kiki's Delivery Service, based on the book of the Ghibli film. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to look and see where we might have talked about him before. And I'm it sure. feels like maybe Cowboy Bebop. Or, wait, hold on. No, he wasn't in the weird Anno movie whose title escapes me. That was someone else. I feel like we would have talked about it with Anno. Just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also being just a weirdo filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the 
the creator of the Jew-owned franchise. Um, but yeah, should we uh, should we get into the individual episodes? Yeah. All right. Let's let's do it. So, episode one, uh, "Enter Little Slugger," uh, is the title. Uh, we have storyboards by Satoshi Kone. It was directed by Takayuki Harao. Animation supervisor was Michio Suzuki, and uh, background art director was Nobutaka Ike. Um, the first episode, uh, here, here's the plot, here it comes. Tsukiko Sagi is a shy character designer who is having trouble creating her next character, and they feel pressured at work. Uh, she has already created a very successful character, a pink dog called Moromi, and her boss expects the next character to be even better. On her way home, she's started by a homeless woman, uh, and at the height of her despair, she's suddenly attacked by someone carrying a golden baseball bat. Uh, A pair of detectives interrogate her, and she describes a suspect suspect as an elementary school-aged boy wearing golden inline skates and a red hat. The media praise on the story, and a sleazy reporter named Akio Kawazu, Teo Tsukiko, in an attempt to get further details, he is then attacked himself. Uh, so I think the, 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 the interesting thing about this first episode is that the opening of it mm-hmm. basically gives you the thesis for the series. Yes. Uh, in that it is just different scenes of people like on phones or, or talking to people, texting, all sorts of situations where basically they are trying to get out of the blame. Like all these people are talking about how like, it's not my fault, it's my boss's fault, or, or you know, I didn't mean to do this thing, that sort of thing. Like, it's it's a whole lot of scenes of that going on. People on trains, people walking around, um, all communicating with other people, basically trying to get, I won't say get out of trouble, but trying to make excuses, trying to get out of situations, that sort of thing. And that, as you watch the show, that sort of becomes the much more apparent that that is sort of the thesis of of the the series you know accepting blame accepting when you're wrong like that sort of thing i would say yeah and one of the other interesting things about it is that it's all electronic communication it's people Mm -hmm. on cell phones it's people texting or, or emails it's all you you do you get a sense of like this buzz in the this like electronic buzz Mm-hmm. in the air from from everyone and we're like kind of overhearing everyone uh with their with their complaints yeah uh and then we 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 meet Sukiko um arguably our our primary character over the course of the series um she's definitely sort of the the impetus for everything happening um cuz like you said she is the first victim of little slugger uh, when she's attacked, um, trying to recover a, a drawing that she has done of a potential new character for her her company, um, it's very much she works for like I guess sort of a a Sanrio analog mm-hmm. uh, in a sense. So her character Moromi is a little pink dog with these big eyes, very sort of cute and blobby style. I don't know if it would, could actually be considered like a super flat style but it's definitely sort of in that wheelhouse i think and uh she's you know like you said expected to come up with a new character um on her way home she's startled by this you know this old woman this old homeless woman uh and then is attacked by a little slugger as she starts to have like a like a a panic attack basically Mm -hmm. 
Um, uh, backing up for just a second, uh, sure. Sukiko is voiced in Japanese by uh, Mamiko Koto? Noto. Mamiko Noto. She's been in quite a bit of stuff starting around year 2000 with Boogie Pop Phantom. Um, she's been in Inuyasha, uh, Paranoid Agent, obviously, Monster. Uh, I'm trying to think. What else? What else shows up um, here? She did play Jin's daughter in Tokyo Godfather. Okay, yes. So we have a connection there. Uh, yeah, she's she's in a whole lot of stuff. Uh <laughs> Kotoha in Demon Slayer? Is that a... Kotoha? Mmm, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, and in English, she is performed by Michelle Ruff, uh, who voices characters like uh, Rukia Kuchiki in Bleach, uh, Fujiko Mine in Lupin III. Um, a lot of... She's definitely a, a, a bigger name in the, the English dubbing world. If we can go back a little bit to Moromi, uh, the little dog, um, it's that dog's everywhere, very subtly, uh, uh-huh. hanging, you know, from a from a rearview mirror. Someone's a girl's charm on their cell phone. If y'all remember those, um, I like. And this will come into play later in the series. But sort of binging these episodes recently, you you see the progression of like Maromi is getting bigger and, and bigger and appearing in more places as we go along through the series. Yes. Yes. The, the, the steady onslaught of Maromi merchandising grows quickly. And um, does it happen in the first episode? Do we get a talking Maromi? I believe that is how. It's like the end of the episode. I think that is how the episode ends. Yes. So you get a sense of that Sukiko is not, you know, there something's not not all there. Yeah. With her. Um, She's dealing with something. Yeah. So uh Maromi is performed by Haruko Momoi, um, who has been in uh things like uh Ragnarok the Animation, uh Steins Gate, um, she was why not in the Camp Pikachu movie? <laughs> uh, several of the the Tales games, so Tales of the Abyss, Tales of the World, um, that sort of thing. Uh, her uh, Maromi's English voice actress is Carrie Savage, uh, who performed in uh, Read or Die, the TV, Crayon Shinchan, Trinity Blood, um, some very early two thousands anime there for you. Um, She's also some voices of the Tachikomas in Ghost in the Cell Standalone Complex. Um, so yeah, that's that's some of her her notable her notable roles. So Sukiko is attacked. Uh, she ends up in the hospital, uh, to which she is then interviewed by uh, a pair of detectives, uh, an older you know grizzled chief detective, <laughs> uh, Keiichi Ikari. Um, and his younger uh, assisting detective, Mitsuhiro Maniwa, um, who sort of become the characters that we tend to... We tend to see them pop up quite a bit, considering that they are the ones basically in charge of the little Sugger case. Mm-hmm. Um, Keiichi is, you know, he is the, the tough older detective, like I said. Um, very much just kind of wants to get through the case, get get justice served as, as best as he can. While uh, Maniwa is 
Uh, I see. I shorthand. I kind of want to say he's a little bit of a Fox Mulder because he wants to believe. He wants to believe. Uh, he he is the younger, uh, the younger detective. He wants to like really look into all the weird stuff that is going on with the little slugger case. Um, that uh, as we as we go on, we we kind of learn a little bit more about about Manuwa and some of his his predilections. So Manawa and Akari, it's 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 a good dynamic, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, we're they're kind of the main meta plot characters mm-hmm. as we go along. That sort of dip in and out of importance. Um, yeah, it's it's just Akari saying. I, I think the big thing is that Akari does not believe um, does not believe Sukiko, while Man- Manawa does, and kind of believes everything else. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ikari even kind of jibes uh, Maniwa about um, Maniwa having a crush on Tsukiko and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, uh, But uh, Ikari, in Japanese, is voiced by Shozo Izuka, uh, who I believe... It's, it's a returning favorite. Yes. Uh, they, p- uh, they are Genya Tachibana from Millennium Actress. There it is, um, yeah. But, but mainly Nappa from Dragon Ball. <laughs> Nappa from Dragon thing. Ball. Uh, it was in uh, Fist of the North Star, all sorts of stuff. A, a, a truly a legend. Um, and in English is voiced by Michael McConaughey, um, who was uh, D in Vampire Hunter D, uh, the Necromancer in Diablo Two, <laughs> um, a whole a whole lot of stuff. He was uh, Schwarzwald in The Big O, which is a, a big one for me. I, I love that character, and I love The Big O. Oh man, we should talk about the Big O sometime. We'll get. I mean, I got that. I got the series. It's just nice. collecting dust. It needs to not collect dust. Yes. Uh, he was also Norris Packard, one of my favorite characters in Mobile Suit Gundam, the Eighth MS team. So uh, a big, a big favorite of mine. Uh, and then uh, Maniwa was voiced by Toshiko Seki. Um, he was uh, voiced in Rao Le Crusette uh, in Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. Uh, some sort of Dutch oven. Um, <laughs> uh, Kai and Shiba and Bleach uh, duo Maxwell and Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. Um, so some some notable things there. And is voiced by Liam O'Brien in uh, English. Uh, probably most well-known now for Critical Role. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Dungeons and Dragons actual play series. Um but he's been in just about everything uh, made in the past 20 years, dub-wise. Probably before that, uh, Gaara from Naruto. Yes, definitely, definitely Gaara. Um, Yeah, yeah, you have definitely heard Liam O'Brien's voice if you have watched any dubbed anime. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, I don't believe we actually get Little Slugger talking in this, but uh, do we want to go over his eventual voice actors as well? Yeah, we can get that to that yeah so little slugger aka shonen bat uh is voiced by daisuke sakaguchi in japanese um he's been in a lot of sailor moon series uh okay i think he is pretty much anytime they need uh, a male voice actor for any reason he'll show up in a sailor moon series <laughs> uh record of lodos war uh parappa the rapper yes the titular parappa <laughs> Uh, no, he was the police dog in Parappa the Rapper. Okay. 
uh, uh, Bleach, uh, Bacano, One Piece. Uh, he was the young Porcus the Ace in One Piece. So that's a, a name for all you One Piece fans out there. <laughs> uh, and then in English, he was voiced by Sam Regal. Uh, also well-known <laughs> for Critical Role. Uh, but uh, he's also the voice of Phoenix Rice in the Ace Attorney games, uh, Donatello in the 2003 TMNT series. Um, a lot of a lot of shows. He is another one of those, those voice actors that if you have been watching anime dubbed since about the 2000s, you have definitely heard his voice at some point. Teddy and Persona, Persona 4, related media he is is that voice actor i think those are the main players for episode one oh there's um kind of sorta because this goes into um every episode uh the the preview for the next episodes are called prophetic visions Mm -hmm. and they are narrated by an old man who we see throughout the series in the first episode he is just chalk on cement, writing out an equation. Uh, he comes up with a number. Um, yeah, he, the equation comes. The equation he does gives him a number. Uh, he freaks out about about it, and that's when he meets eyes with Sukiko. Um, and that number turns out to be the number of the hospital room that she stays at after her uh, assault. And so we'll see this. He will. This old man character will come to play, mm-hmm. not just a sort of weirdness and, and and background radiation, but have more of a major role, right? Yes. 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 Um, he, he is. He is one of the the other driving characters in the overall mystery. Um, uh, uh, as well, we will we will eventually see. Even if we don't necessarily see him. Uh, in episodes, we will typically see some of his equations pop up uh, here and there. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of lines in the episodes, but he does uh, voice the prophetic visions at the end of the episodes. Um, so uh, he is played by Ryuji Saikachi, uh, who uh, he passed away in 2017, but he... Uh, voiced a lot of things. He was the Grand Kai in Dragon Ball Z. Let's see, a bartender in Galaxy Express 999. Uh, he was in 3 by 3 Eyes, uh, Inuyasha, Sakura Wars, Yu Yu Hakusho. Um, and in uh, English, voiced by William Frederick. Oh, uh, back uh, with Sakaichi. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I we got to mention, he's good at playing an old man. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the old man in Rojin Z. <laughs> and the old man in Tokyo Godfathers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. He was Rafiki in Kingdom Hearts 2. Ooh. Uh, but yes, uh, in English, he's played by uh, William Frederick Knight, um, who was the old man in Cowboy Bebop <laughs> in Session 2, Stray Dog Strut. Um, he shows up in uh, as Daisuke Aramaki in uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Um He's Gordon Rosewater in the Big O, another Big O spot there. Um, and then uh, the other sort of major character that we get in this episode is our, our second little slugger victim, um, uh, Akio Kawazu. Uh, he's actually indebted to the old man's son because of a, an, an accident that involved the old man uh, and now kind of stuck trying to pay his bills. Um 
he is a, a, a gossip journalist that sort of after uh, Sukiko gets out of the hospital, he starts uh, hounding her for a case. He's basically like, you know, you're, you're kind of sleazy tabloid reporter. T- yeah, uh, a TMZ type. Mm-hmm. He, you think he's the shittiest character <laughs> as in the series, but nope. There are worse ones. Yep. Uh, so in English, uh, or rather in Japanese, he was voiced by Kenji Utsumi, um, uh, who, again, he passed away in 2013. But he played uh, uh, Rao in Fist of the North Star. Um, Senbei Noromaki, who I believe is uh, is the titular uh, Dr. Slump in mm-hmm. Dr. Slump. Um he voiced uh, Shenlong, Commander Red, and Raccoon in Dragon Ball. Uh, and then uh, in English, he is voiced by uh, Doug Stone, who is the voice of Psychomantis, uh, along with Matt Tracker in the series Mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a fun one for me. Yep, yep. Uh, he shows up uh, as several of the Uchihas in Naruto. Um, a, a a well a well diversified cast there. Uh, like we were saying, uh, Kawazu attempts to sort of you know cajole some information out of uh, Sukiko about the assault. Which uh, when she's first asked about it by our our detective pair, she takes some time trying to um, describe Little Slugger. She sort of slowly. Uh, comes out with the very basic information where inline skates, um, a bat and a hat and being like, you know, an elementary school kid. Uh, and then as, as Kawazu is trying to gather more information, uh, he is also attacked by, uh, by little slugger. I forget exactly how he runs into little slugger. I, I believe it's a similar to her first, uh, attack. Where it's you know, sort of a chase, right? Hmm. I believe doesn't he find the uh, the drawing? I believe that's how he first gets to interact he, with he, her. Yes, because yep. um, and through him we also well, through him and other scenes we learn that Sukiko is not really well liked by her her coworkers. Mm-hmm. Either through like either genuine grievances they have with her, or you know jealousy, or just you know office office stuff. Yeah, yeah. Your 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 caddy fellow employees, mm-hmm. so to speak. Kawazu is is attacked by a little slugger, um, and the, the 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 strange thing about it is that when he is attacked, he is sort of relieved of his his concerns. Uh, which then becomes sort of an, an ongoing thing for the the rest of the series. The people that are attacked by Little Slugger are suddenly relieved of any sort of like guilt or blame that they seem to have. Um, and obviously, because of Little Slugger's attack on Tsukiko, who is this very big name, she has created like the most popular character in Japan, maybe even the world at this point. Um, her her the attack is put all over the news, so it gets spread around very quickly. Um, and it, it spreads throughout the neighborhoods of, of Tokyo. It's the... I didn't have this word the first time I watched it. But we do... This show becomes about a tulpa, uh, a thought form, mm-hmm. just an idea that's that's given life. Um, in, in a cut, not just... 
I won't say yet <laughs> with him, but uh, you can probably figure it out. But uh, yeah. uh, but in, in a couple different ways, where it's on top of just paranoia and you know mm-hmm. bl- blaming others or trying to escape your problems, it's how and I how an idea grows and how it actually becomes a literal physical force. Uh huh. Yes, definitely. Um, see, it's it's funny that you say the word tulpa because that is also a a, a plot thing in Twin Peaks. Oh, really? in the old one or new one? Uh, it becomes more of a thing in in season three, the new okay. season. But um, Lynch is all about transcendental meditation mm-hmm. uh, and and learning a lot of that sort of. Um, uh, that sort of philosophy, learning like a lot of like meditation, and and there's a lot in the f- first two seasons. There's a lot about uh, Tibet and the Dalai Lama and things like that, um, and that sort of philosophy uh, gets used a lot. And Lynch is very interested in uh, all that kind of stuff, and he kind of will take it and use some of those concepts originally kind of born out of that stuff and bring it over to to Twin Peaks. Overall, uh, on this episode, I mean. It's really good. It brings you into this mystery, and there's uh-huh. enough. I think with the spread of the of the news of Little Slugger, um, and uh, Maromi coming to life and sort of giving advice to Sukiko, um, sort of pushing the narrative of like, actually, you're blameless. Don't worry about it. You're fine. You you did everything right, mm-hmm. and you can't do anything wrong. And you were right to tell the detectives what you told them. And also, don't think about the past. You're fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. Everything's cool. <laughs> I'm a talking plushie. <laughs> yep. So episode two mm-hmm. is The Golden Shoes. Uh, and it primarily revolves around uh, Yuichi Ichi Taira, um, a, a incredibly popular sixth grade boy who has the ability to smile and, and have a little teeth shine happen. <laughs> uh, it's funny every time it happens. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he's incredibly popular and, you know, he's the best at everything he does and he is most noticeable for wearing golden inline skates and wearing a red hat, um, which as the news of Little Slugger comes about, uh, very quickly turns the entire school on him. Uh, Yuichi Taira is voiced by Mayumi Yamaguchi in Japanese, um, who, uh, voiced, uh, young Orochimaru in Naruto, um, Envy and some other characters in Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, see, like, Digimon was the main thing, uh, the yeah. voice of Gabumon. Yeah, uh, Gabumon and Henry Wong in different, uh, Digimon series. Um, in English, he is voiced by Johnny Young Bosch. Uh, former Black Power Ranger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, voice of Vash the Sambid and Ichigo Kurosaki, uh, respectively. Uh, he's also the voice of Nero in the Devil May Cry series. So yes, another very noticeable uh, voice voice role. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so so Ichi Yuichi is is very uh, narciss- narcissistic. Uh, due to his constant praise and everything prior to the events of the series. And then as we get into this episode, um, the both the sort of uh, ostracization from his class, along with um, another student, uh, Shogo Ushiyama, uh, kind of taking his place as far as popularity, um, 
kind of drives him over a cliff, mentally speaking, where he, he very quickly starts becoming paranoid of, of other people, that they're constantly making fun of him, uh, bullying him, things like that, when, in fact, he is actually the sort of yeah. bully in a lot of these situations. It's... Um, it's his Ichi's attempts at sort of salvaging his reputation or putting uh, putting his supposed like rival down mm-hmm. um, are all they always backfire on him. Yes, and like make things worse. Like for instance, he he actually confronts Shoji Sojo Shogo. He, he finally confronts Shogo saying, hey, you're the one that's actually spreading these rumors. Um, someone gets, you know, photos of this. So it looks like Ichi, who was doing this, uh, was like, you know, physically confronting Shogo. Uh, but then when all the pictures are released, Shogo, because he's a class act, mm-hmm. is like, teacher, everyone is <laughs> bullying Ichi. We have to stop them. Yes. Because he's yes. too pure for this world. Because <laughs> Shogo is a genuinely nice kid mm-hmm. uh, and is trying to to be helpful and very nice. And uh, Yuichi just constantly takes it as an insult. Um, the The only person that, that Yuichi is able to confide in is his tutor, Harumi Chono, who is, you know, is an adult tutor for him uh, that uh, we might see a little bit more of mm-hmm. in the next mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, that's the that's the only person he can really try and confide in, and it it doesn't it doesn't go well for for Yuichi. So for the for the voices of Shogo, mm-hmm. um, we have Stephen Bendick as the English voice actor. Seems like a, a child actor who you know got in, got out. Mm-hmm. I didn't really find too much on him. But the Japanese voice actor is Makoto Sumura, um, who played Takato from Digimon. And uh, is the voice of Ratchet, uh, of Ratchet and Clank fame. Oh, how both, about both, that? Both in the games and the, the one movie. Nice. Um, the only thing I'm really seeing for Stephen Bendick's uh, IMDb entries are um, he was in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle and then did some voices on uh, like Ergo Proxy, Reader Die the TV, Technolize, that sort of stuff. And then uh, the tutor who we'll meet, who we'll spend a lot of time with, mm-hmm. Harumi Chono, is voiced by Katano Mitsuishi, who is, I don't know, Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and Masato. Masato and Ma- and, mm-hmm. Number two with the bullet, Masato. Um, giving out adult kisses, and then Boa Hancock. Mm-hmm. So just a, a trifecta of heavy hitters. <laughs> Very much so. Oh. Um, and then the English voice actor is Erica Schaefer, uh, who seems more of a, you know, sort of a character TV film actor. Uh, the only one that stood out, this is just for me, Aaron. Uh, they were in Puppet Master Axis of Evil. <laughs> I've seen that. It's not, it's, as far as Puppet Master movies goes, could be worse. <laughs> it could be. Um, but yeah, she seems to be a lot of, uh, like daytime TV soap operas, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the Golden Shoes, this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be my favorite episode of the seven we watched. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I think it is the strongest standalone episode. It 
Yeah. Everything is from Yuichi's perspective. You get this huge voiceover. Um, you see very quickly, you see like his true colors come out and his downfall. Mm-hmm. And it's also an episode that really uses the, uh, the sort of edits that trick fan that the edits that mix fantasy and reality. Uh, the one that really stands out to me is kind of uh, Shogo actually ends up getting attacked mm-hmm. by um, a little slugger. Um, and Yuichi is like excited. He thinks everyone will, f- you know, hey, he's attacked. He's forgiven. Uh, you see the scene of Yuichi playing baseball, everyone cheering for him. He gives a little flash smile to the to the camera and then we, you know, we zoom out and he's just watching a very well-produced baseball game mm-hmm. of, of himself mm-hmm. playing. But he's actually cowering in his room because he does not want to face his school. Yes. Um, and like the there's a part where you they it's a it's a nice shorthand to show his fall from grace because uh, the there is a school election. Uh, that's sort of happening in the background. And we Mm -hmm. see Yuichi's poster, which is like very, you know, it's a nice photo of him. And as the rumors spread, the poster gets more and more defaced. Yes. As people continue to accuse him of being a little slugger. Yeah, it gets more and more defaced, and there's more and more rumors about Little Slugger that kind of pop up out of this that then carry forward. Because our initial description is this they has skates, a bat, and a red hat. And then after this, um, he ends up getting those yellow, like golden yellow eyes when we see him. And that description piece comes out of this episode. Mm. As well as like the smile. Uh-huh. As yes. well. The the flash of the, the grin. You literally Yuichi's grin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so the the sort of nature of Little Slayer kind of grows with these these more of these rumors kind of happening and and affecting how people perceive or expect to perceive little slugger um but uh yuichi uh is eventually um just basically driven mad and 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 is attacked by by little slugger while um trying to to prove that he is not little slugger mm-hmm. um if I remember correctly, he uh, isn't it. Shogo gets attacked, and then uh, he thinks he sees Little Slugger again, and then goes after him. Yeah, I think it's Shogo getting attacked. It's a separate incident. I think these episodes are a little fever dreamish, mm-hmm. like in in a good way as well. But it does end with Yuichi eventually getting attacked, and like, well, everything's great because I was attacked. So yep. free and clear, yeah. baby. I can't be a little slugger if I've been attacked by a little slugger. Can I? Can I? <laughs> Your honor. Uh, but yes, that's that's basically where that, that episode wraps up with um, Yuichi uh, distressed but free from his 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 worry about little slugger. Mm-hmm. I think I think the last thing that just I really liked and was also sad um, is that. He playing again, playing into his narcissism. He keeps imagining these events of 
not people being his friends, but it's people saying, you know, people apologizing to him, basically confirming all the things he wants to hear. Like, for instance, he's like, yeah, my birthday's coming up. It'll be fine. All my friends will come. And he's imagining just a million gifts, everyone apologizing to him. But then no one comes to his birthday. <laughs> yes, nobody comes to his birthday except for his mother and his tutor. Yeesh. At the same time, kind of deserve it, kid. <laughs> You, yeah, you, you could do with one of these birthdays. Yeah. Build character. Look, the things that happen to Uichi do suck, but <laughs> Uichi does kind of suck. If you if you put suck out into the world, it comes right back to you. <laughs> it comes right back to at you as a a baseball bent bent like a dog's leg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which will come to play later. Yes. Uh, but yeah, let's, we can. Uh, yeah, I've got nothing else on um, this okay. episode. So, uh, oh, uh, Golden Shoes was also uh, storyboarded by Cone, directed by Takuji Endo, uh, animation supervision by Michio Suzuki, and the background art and uh, director was Nobutake Ike. Oh. Episode three, Double Lips. Uh, was storyboarded by Atsushi Takahashi, again directed by uh, Takuji Endo, uh, animation supervision by Shigeo Akahori, and background art direction by Ryo Kono. Um, this episode deals with Harumi Chono, our, our tutor from the previous episode, um, who we learn has uh, dissociative identity disorder, uh, where she has an alter ego, Maria, who is a prostitute. Um, and the, the, the only way that the two can really communicate is through uh, answering messages that they leave for each other. Uh, Harumi uh, is, um, she works for the uh, college at uh, GI University, uh, where she is developing a relationship with one of her, um, with her a research assistant that eventually uh, grows into a marriage proposal that, uh, you know, is obviously going to deal with her, her alter ego in a, in a fashion. Uh, so she, she then tries to attempt to get rid of her alter ego. Um, we learned that she has been uh, going to a, a therapist to try and slowly wean off of this, this alternate personality to try and kind of like subsume it or, or get rid of it. Right when she thinks she is finally free of Maria, having thrown out all of her, all of Maria's clothes, all of her outfits and and things like that. Um, She wakes up one day to find out that all the clothes is back and that she had worked the previous night, even though she had said that she was quitting. Um, And then sort of takes a a turn. uh, it, It takes a turn in that she starts to lose more and more track of, um, her, her personalities where uh, when Maria is actually active and doing things and what Maria has been doing, um, giving out uh, Harumi's personal phone number to clients, um, you know, leaving more and more aggressive messages, telling her to like not throw out my stuff, that sort of thing. Um, and it just constantly continues to drive her into a corner that she eventually... Uh, has an a, an encounter with Little Slugger. It for this episode, it feels like the element that might have been left over. And I'm gonna 
going to go out on a limb and say it's leftover from Perfect Blue, um, is probably the answer machine sort of device of the mm-hmm. two kind of personalities communicating with each other, especially when the other one doesn't know what the other has done or did. And that's kind of, they're, they're uno- each personality is unaware of what the other one is doing. So this is really their only form of communication. And it's usually, uh, 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 it's usually combative, their, their messages to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Like, um, the relationship seems very kind of strained at the beginning and then very quickly devolves, um, as Harumi tries to get rid of Maria. Um, I think very early in the episode, we have Maria saying that, oh, this is going to be my last time doing this. This is our, our final, my final, you know, client and all that. And then very quickly, she immediately comes back and, uh, Harumi is constantly being stressed by like both not being able to get rid of Maria or get her under control, but also like she has not told her fiance about her condition to which her psychiatrist is constantly telling her to like, Hey, you've, you've got to tell them about this. Um, and then it, it constantly like continues to spiral more and more out of control as Maria is getting more and more hostile towards her. Um, oh, we also get a scene where, where Harumi visits Yuichi in the hospital post his attack um, where he actually says that she needs a doctor more than he does which is Mm -hmm. that's fucked up kid (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I guess he has kind of gained a little bit of clarity after his encounter with Little Slugger Um, but yeah I think I think this episode is also probably like despite the sort of twisted nature of the Harumi Maria relationship it's also like one of the more direct episodes. I think it's a thing where right before the third act in perfect blue, we have the, uh, I think we described it as like the, the sequence of doing a bunch of takes and you, the audience are sort of as confused as Mima is as far as like, what is the show she's working on? What is reality? What is, you know, where, Within the reality and within the time frame of everything, what's going on? Where this one is definitely more. You kind of see where you, even though you you're following along with Harumi, it doesn't really throw you for that same kind of loop. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not. I feel like you're not as discombobulated, and maybe that's just from the fact of like, like it's it's impossible to like not compare this episode to Perfect Blue, right? And it's kind of a, a redux. It's- I, I feel like it's definitely like the most direct comparison I think you can make with his previous works is this Imperfect Blue. Um, uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, um, I don't know if it's like, a, you know, a, a complete like, you know, like retry, but it is definitely like trying to tackle similar concepts in a, in a slightly different way. Well, he, he never... If I'm remembering correctly, not that he didn't want, but like the sort of twisty ending wasn't necessarily his thing Mm -hmm. for Perfect Blue, where this is, like you said, it's very straightforward. It's it's not like, actually, there's a third personality, you know, controlling things. It's... Mm -hmm. Um, which write that down, <laughs> um, but you know it's it's. I, 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 I think that's just Moon Knight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I haven't seen it, so you can't blame me. Um, but it's technically just the struggle between two people sharing a body and mm-hmm. like what is who deserves to live their life amongst them and what does that struggle come down to because it just comes down to like a physical altercation at the end yes sort of through the through the lens of through the eyes of harumi yeah yeah um i think that like i said it, it ultimately concludes with her uh in a conflict with her two personalities um where I get I get what they were going for visually, but nowadays it's very difficult to see her with all of like the caked on smeared makeup at the end of this episode and not just think she's been jokerified. <laughs> yeah, so they, they don't tell you she passed through some joker gas beforehand. Yes. It's either that or the makeup gun from The Simpsons. <laughs> I think maybe that's it. It's it's knowledge of his past work on top of time. And this one's not as this one just doesn't hit as hard yeah. as some of the other episodes. I don't know. Uh, I think there might be a little something where like there's the twist that this character, this Tudor character from the previous episode turns out to be a, a, a mm. multiple multiple personality having prostitute as well as being this tutor for a child like that that might play into it a little bit but yeah no that's a that's a good point they they just flop where the the twist was i mean speaking of the beginning you do you see maria going through her list of clients and uh there's an otaku character that she sleeps with and it is one of the foulest scenes only because right afterwards he starts talking to his figures. Yes. To his anime girl figures. He starts and praising his anime girl's figures for how good of a job they did. <laughs> Which is... Bleh. Oh, boy. And then I, I like... Part of that scene I do like is that you hear her, like, moaning and, and you know, putting on the, the, the act. But then the moment that you actually see her post... Mm-hmm. Post the act, she is just deadpan, staring at the ceiling, nonplussed. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Um, and one of her, uh, again, continuing the connective tissue, one of her clients is Masami Hirakawa, who, uh, this guy sucks. The, <laughs> this guy sucks. Don't you want to get a, into? He's a real piece of shit. Yeah, we can, we can get into the next episode because he's, we get to follow him around. Hooray. Yeah. So, so Little Slugger attacks uh, Harumi, as I have said before, but uh, in doing so, seemingly cures her of Maria. Uh, yeah. Or, or something happens there where there, she no longer has the multiple personalities. I don't know if... I don't know if we get a follow-up on that, if maybe they like kind of blended into each other or not. Um, I guess we have to see later in the series. But uh, yes, so one of her clients is... Masami Hirakawa, who is the star or the primary character of episode four, A Man's Path. Yeah, never a star. Never a star. Um, Again, uh, storyboarded by Atsushi Takahashi, directed by Atsushi Takahashi, um, animation supervision by Michio Mihara, and uh, background art direction by Nobutake Ike. Uh, So we learn about uh, Hirakawa, who is a, a low-level police officer um, 
that calls himself a, a family man, but then very quickly we've learned that he is uh, totally in on the local Yakuza. Um, he provides them with like information, and then you know they give him bribes and uh, money, uh, or rather bribes and women and and all of this stuff, all of these you know illicit deals. Um, uh, one of his favorite prostitutes turns out to be Maria. Um, and that uh, using the money that he has gained through his, his illicit acts, um, he is trying to purchase a house for his family. Um, Hirokawa is voiced by uh, Toshikyo Nakajima, uh, who was uh, Carlos in Cowboy Bebop, uh, who was one of the, the three old men, I believe. Correct. Uh, he was in, uh, he was Hachiman in Inuyasha, uh, primarily Inuyasha the movies. Um, uh, is that okay? No. Uh, yeah, he has uh, uh, some roles in uh, Rama One Half, Sakura Wars. Um, he did some dubbing for Captain America. Ooh. Uh, in English, he is played by Deem Bristow, who passed away in 2005, so actually not too long after this. But um, he was the voice of Dr. Robotnik for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know. The Sonic Adventure series, Sonic Heroes, uh, all that stuff. He was the voice of Dr. Robotnik. So that's probably where you've heard his voice before. It, it's sort of a rise and fall. We have him mm-hmm. living the good life by squeezing the Yakuza. Uh, then there is some sort of takeover. Uh, so there is a, a new boss or his boss's boss comes in and starts demanding more and more money from Hirakawa. It's kind of kind of a running gag that... They say, hey, we're just trying to get the 20,000 yen you owe us. And the next time they meet, it's like, look, man, we're just, we just want you to pay us back the 1 million yen you owe. And the, you know, yes. the number increases because the Yakuza. Yes. It's, uh, it's always presented as like, oh, he's getting married. Don't you want to give him a nice gift or, or something along mm-hmm. those lines? Like, You're his friend, right? You don't yeah. want your house to burn down. Yeah. And, and as, he's, as he's going through all of this, having to deal with the, the Yakuza and like his his family life. He's constantly having these um, sort of daydream segments where he is like reading or imagining a like a noble Yakuza like manga series. That, now, having that, never read Berserk, uh-huh. is it a Berserk? Um, Fist of the North Star? I feel like it'd be closer to like a Fist of the North Star. It's almost like um, if you took the like battles without honor or dignity and turned it into a a manga version of that where it's supposed to be about like the this noble yakuza member it's like there's a series of video games called oh. yakuza <laughs> where despite the fact that yakuza by definition are criminals there are good ones there are good ones that are noble and true of heart and uh they're they're really good guys as opposed to being Vicious criminals. Um, and uh, that's sort of the thing here where is about a, a particular character who is going up against the corrupt evil Yakuza when he is the good masculine manly Yakuza. Um, that sort of thing. And he Hirokawa is trying to, to draw those comparisons to his own life. I think he is trying to walk this man's path that is in this, this manga. But uh, we learn that, like, you know, Obviously, it, it's fiction. It is a. It's all made up. Uh, it is you know nothing in life is really like that. And we very quickly see how 
whenever he tries to do something even remotely close to that, is just the most like debased, like lowly kind of thing. It's yeah, it's his sort of justification for for everything that he does to try and get this money. Um, and the way that it's presented is that it's you know you have this voiceover. Uh, you kind of you see the singular panels from this mm-hmm. fictional manga, which I don't I didn't find anything on who drew those. I don't think it was Cone. It no, this looks like, like a much his. older kind of style. Like it mm. looks very much like a um, like a lone wolf and cub kind yes. of visual. So like a much more of a seventies manga style than than a more um, modern uh, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but well, you know these panels are intercut with. I think it, he starts by like you know purse snatching. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, he breaks into someone's house, robs them of their life savings, attacks their daughter, um, it, and like you have this, yeah, you. But you see it all intercut with the manga panels, which make him look more pathetic. Uh, he also has like a, a luchador mask on while he's doing all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very sort of like portly, exaggerated, like piggish kind of guy, um, and the the mask and his outfit and everything like that really kind of accentuates all of that. Yeah, they there there's no good on him for like from character design to how he acts to to everything. It's like no, this guy sucks. This guy is horrible. You should not feel pity for him in any way. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's given like drugs to help him commit the acts yeah. that he's doing like he's bravery like, pills bravery pill I, I i don't know what they are i feel like they might i don't think it's pcp but who knows I, yeah as someone who's never taken it i can, i don't know if it's in pill form now or ever was he i mean What's the thing in Yakuza? You're just doing energy shots? Yeah, you, it's like energy drinks you go and buy. You can go buy like the drinks you get in Yakuza at your local Asian market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're in the middle of a fight and you, and you yeah. need to re-up your health. Yeah, you need a little, little five-hour energy to bring your energy back up. Um, but uh, Hirakawa eventually is completely distraught by his axe, cries for help in the street, begging for someone to stop him. Uh, he is then attacked by Little Slugger, um, but he he's not knocked out. We don't get, you know, a cut to black uh-huh. in the hospital. Um, he He's pretty conscious and then eventually chases Little Slugger down and arrests him. That's that's pretty much it. Like, he is, um, he, he manages to apprehend Little Slugger. Um, and yeah, I think... The the most distinguishing thing about this episode is definitely the the manga panels um, and how that's used to to paint this picture mm-hmm. of, of this man and his 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 delusion is his and he does someone stop him I guess, I guess little slugger did he he technically doesn't commit crimes anymore after eh, I don't know that's yeah after that's a this, real. That's that's real up in the air. I don't yeah. know uh, for the the second half of the series what we what kind of resolution we get on that. I know we do get a little bit more of of Hirokawa in a few episodes, but uh, he 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 gets his comeuppance. Yeah, we can go into the next episode. Okay, because um, it uh, it picks off pretty much at the end where now that the little slugger is in has been apprehended, 
Ikari and Manawa can uh, can interrogate him in the episode titled The Holy Warrior. Uh, Mamoru Suzaki and Nanako Shimazaki uh, did the storyboard with Shimazaki directing. Uh, and then we also have Sasaki as the animation supervisor. So good. So, you know, this was theirs. Uh, and then again, no, uh, I think for the first time, Kaoru Inoda as the background art director. Um, so this is, this is, this whole episode is essentially an interrogation scene, scene of Akari and Manawa interrogating the young man known as Little Slugger, um, who's an eighth grade student named Makoto Kazuka. Um, Kazuka admits to the attacks, but is sort of living like every conservative's worst fear about video games. <laughs> That the, he, he has completely, supposedly completely mixed mm-hmm. uh, the, the world of a RPG uh, with the real world. And we, we kind of get the events of the past couple episodes through this perspective. But I think uh-huh. the main point of the episode is seeing this is where the split between Manawa and Akari starts to happen as Manawa sort of follows in this delusion. And Ikari, he doesn't want to deal with this kid. He wants like, give me the facts. I want to close this case. Don't lie to me about all this fantasy (laughs) stuff. Yeah. This episode is basically, hey, what if Millennium Actress had a scene where they were in Dragon Quest? That's correct. (laughs) Like, that is like the most explicit. It's just like, I wanted to do a video game segment for Millennium Actress, but that doesn't work. So let's mm. do it here. And what is like the single biggest game in Japan? Dragon Quest. Yes. Yeah. As uh, someone who's not played Dragon Quest, I don't know if I didn't really pick up all of the sort of ins and outs. Uh, like the Holy Warrior design, like that armor and sword and everything. That mm. was all very, very like early Dragon Quest. Um, there's a little bit of other stuff. Like I don't know if Goma shows up in other series, but Goma is a major boss in um, a bunch of like the Zelda games. The the speed boots, aka his inline skates, are they have a bit of a Zelda e kind of feel to them. Like there's some hover boots that do something similar in Ocarina of Time. Things like that. So it's a bit of a mishmash of a bunch of stuff, but it is primarily Dragon Quest, yeah. Um, and basically, like, Maniwa kind of takes over the the, the position of the um, the character that gets really into the delusion mm-hmm. to try and, like, find out what's going on while uh, Ikari is the, you know, the sort of straight man in the situation who just wants to get the actual facts. He doesn't believe in all of this stuff. He just thinks this kid is crazy, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where uh, they are ascending a tower and Ikari is, you know, taking the stairs, complaining about this generation. Um, I think it's also prevalent, especially now that Ikari has started to smoke, which he did not do before. Mm-hmm. He, he's taking he's slowly taking the stairs while Manawa and uh, Kazuka, they go up a weird hot air balloon as Manawa is like flipping through the uh, how to guide <laughs> for mm-hmm. the game. I should just note that uh, Makoto Kozuka, our, our little slugger uh, for this episode, is voiced by the, the same voice actors we listed earlier. <laughs> um, Daisuke Sakaguchi and Sam Regal. Um, yes. So. Just so you know. Um, but yeah, like, 
Uh, yeah, so we basically just kind of get a bit of a recounting of the events of the previous episodes for the most part. I think it starts with the most recent and kind of works backwards, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, the, the the characters that were attacked, they show up as either like villagers or like creatures in the uh, in the game. So like... Uh, Kawazu shows up as a frog that gets stepped on. Um, Maria shows up as a an evil butterfly lady, um, things like that. Uh, and and uh, Kozuka is kind of under this delusion that all of these people are being possessed by this demonic villain named Goma, who possesses them and makes them the bad guy. And that's why he has to go in and and hit them with his sword, his holy sword, which is you know his bat, and. Uh, free them from from Goma's possession. Uh, uh, they they uh, our our group our heroic party <laughs> of Akara Akari Maniwa and uh, Kozuka kind of go through all of these events. Um, that Kozuka seems to have some sort of explanation for under the description of the game, except for they never really get to Sukiko's case. They don't get to the the initial little slugger attack. Um, yeah, and the, that's kind of where, um, yeah, so they, there is a, there's an illusion that, hey, I'm trying to get to this village where there's an old woman who can also teach me how to defeat Goma. And there's a, which brings the detectives to finding uh, the old woman who was witness to the first attack. Yes. Um, Basically, this this episode and the next episode kind of link up like very directly. It mm-hmm. feels like um, the I, I think I'm I'm realizing I'm more all the the more character based episodes that are work more as one offs are probably the the ones that I like the most. This was although it, it's a cool technique or it, mm-hmm. it was a cool it was a good way to like basically it what what is basically an interrogation scene. And yeah. they they found a way to tell it that was like entertaining while well, showing Akari and Manawa showing their characters. But it's like it this more feels like like well this is like a connective tissue kind of episode. It's it's sort of a connective tissue kind of episode, and um as we'll kind of learn, it's also a bit of a red herring episode. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, uh, like we're, we're getting all this information. We, you know, we think we've actually got like the real little slugger or, you know, something along those lines. And then we'll, we'll get to it in a few episodes, but it turns out that it's not all true. Like some of the stuff is completely made up that he probably just heard about these cases and like kind of in his delusion, uh, just brought it into his story of, you know, being this holy warrior trying to fight this video game character um so you you kind of think that you're onto a particular position and then it turns out oh no wait that's not there's way more to this whole thing than than we thought Mm -hmm. um yeah i think that's that's all i have on the the holy warrior uh i will say that dragon quest um i don't know if it's still at this point but uh they had to change the release date of dragon quest quest uh it's dragon quest it's dragon quest now it used to be called dragon warrior i think i keep saying dragon warrior for some reason um it's dragon quest they had to change the release date of dragon quest like what days they release them on because so many people would like skip school or take off work <laughs> to play it 
when they released that like it severely impacted the workforce in Japan. <laughs> so they had to change it to the weekends. Like that's when Dragon Quest games get released over there. Oh, like Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, like Saturday, Sunday, instead of like during the week, like <laughs> used to be that, uh, at least I know over here, probably over there as well, I think uh, like Tuesday or Wednesday was typically like new release day. Uh, so it would just shut down the workforce. Uh, it's It was kind of crazy. So moving on to our next episode, Fear of a Direct Hit. Uh, this one is storyboarded by Kojiro Suroka, uh, also directed by Kojiro. Um Hisashi Eguchi is our animation supervisor, and Kaoru Onoda is our background director. Um, on this discussion, I will say, I think, as, as a content warning for folks, yes. um, child abuse, uh, sexual child abuse in this episode is, is discussed and inferred, more mm-hmm. than inferred, it, it's, it's there. Um, so, you know, skip ahead. If you don't want to listen to us talk about this episode, the 10, 15 minutes, skip ahead. Yeah. Um, so so uh, Akari and Manawa uh, go to question the old lady who saw the incident with uh, Sukiko and try and find out more what happened during all that. Um, while they are there talking to her, like this woman is being very, very vague, Akari primarily yells at her and um, the old lady reveals that there was nobody there during Sukiko's attack that um, they they find a bent pipe on the scene, which they imply that she uh, harmed herself with it, that she was in such a bad place, they were so stressed out, that she just hurt herself to kind of get out of her, her responsibility or mm-hmm. her, you know, her project. Um, While all this is going on, there's, one, a tsunami coming. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tsunami. Typhoon. Typhoon. Tsunami is the wave. Mm-mm. And we're also introduced to a runaway girl named Taiko Hirakawa. Um, you by the last name, and it's 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 pretty. It's not directly said, but it's you know pretty easily inferred with some flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a runaway, sort of just I think seeking shelter, not sure what to do. Uh, her Japanese voice actor is Nana Mizuki, who I think's biggest role is Hanada from Naruto. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you have with her and her roles. Um, that is, yeah, that's probably the the biggest thing that jumps out at me. Yes, uh, but she's also very prevalent. She's been in a lot of stuff. It looks like um, Basilisk. Uh, she has Wrath in Full Metal Alchemist, the original 2003 version. She's in Shaman King. A bunch of a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff. It looks mm-hmm. like. And then her English voice actress is Kari Walgren, uh, who uh, I know as <laughs> Haruko Harahara in FLCL. Um, and then she also appears in things like Witch Hunter Robin as Robin. Uh, she's Fu in uh, Samurai Champloo. Um, and then she's also been in a bunch of uh, in, uh, a bunch of like Western animation as well as uh, Japanese. Uh, voice dubs mm-hmm. um the old woman now that she speaks uh we'll mention her uh hasako kyoda is the japanese voice actor uh they were obaba in nausicaa uh they were i want to the credits just mother so i'm assuming uh the titular character's mother and millennium actress uh they were genkai in yu hakusho uh, she's also dubs Granny uh, of Looney Tunes fame in Japan. 
Nice. But but not in a Space Jam a new legacy, which I think is disappointing. I believe she's still alive, so I don't think that's the reason. I think they just she got snubbed. LeBron said no, I guess. Uh it looks a new legacy on here. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's sort it of was, the very bottom. Okay, it didn't pop up on mine. I think on IMDB, uh, maybe. Asako Kyoto, yes. Uh, she's there. Uh, she's also mom from Futurama. Ooh, all right. So just uh, momming it up. Yep. Um, and then her English actress is Melora Hart. Uh, and I think the biggest one in our in our sphere is uh, for her role is she is Kyoko, one of the the old kids in Akira, one of the psychic children. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's married to Steve Kramer, who's also another voice actor. Um, he's done a lot of voices for Power Rangers, and uh, he's uh, Nauta's dad in FLCO. But that's okay. But that's not really related to <laughs> the actual series we're talking about. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, take so Takeo's sort of wandering around the city, um, and we get flashbacks of her interactions with her dad. Um, she, she is a daddy's girl. She, you know, it's the, I think a common kind of tropey thing in, in Japanese media is the little girl wanting to marry, you know, ha- or vice versa too. you know, the kid wanting to marry the parent and he's kind of see the, her past life with her dad, her dad wanting to like, Hey, she should have her own room when, you know, I think we can build a house. Um, they do, um, and we, she she one day, uh, I'm guessing in middle school, she runs home to change the background on her dad's computer as like a thank you for getting your own room. She discovers that uh, her father has a camera set up in her room, mm-hmm. uh, which causes her to run away. Yeah, I think we only really get the fact that this is um, Masami Hirokawa's daughter, like really kind of towards the end of the episode because mm-hmm. I, I want to say that the the detectives don't they run into a group of like chatting like housewives at one point that talk about how like the the the, the daughter ran away and and they tell them who she is or something along those lines after that maybe my understanding is that these were kind of two separate storylines okay I, think. I, might, I might just be blending something in my head then I mean there's I mean La- Tokyo Godfathers had chatty housewives. There's a whole episode of it later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she she you know, remembering all this and sort of at the at the peak of the storm, uh she also gets a f- she calls her dad um sort of or he calls her sort of in she trying to get her back or trying to find her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't want anything to do with her. She she threatens that she will destroy everything he has. Um, and at one point screams wishing to become empty. And that is when little slugger comes. Yeah. So little slugger comes along. Also during all this, this is when the, the, the typhoon, the hurricane is hitting the city and just like, there's nothing but like wind and rain and all this. Mm -hmm. And we see, um, uh, not only do we see that the house that was being built by, uh, Hirokawa being destroyed by like a landslide because of all the rain. We also see that the, um, the little homeless camp is is destroyed while uh, Ikari and Maniwa are interrogating the old lady and like this whole thing like so it's crashing down and we see the um, the old lady being swept away in the river. Uh, so there's just like 
a whole lot of, of, of things all happening at once. Um, they do rescue the old lady. I believe we see her later in the, the hospital uh, along with um, Sukiko. No, uh, hold There's... on. I, I, I completely lost the name. With uh, Taiko, uh, we, we see them both in the hospital later. Mm-hmm. Correct? Uh, yeah. I think at the beginning of the episode, there was an illusion that uh, Taiko was the granddaughter of this old uh, woman. Um, but then the sort of ending is that the old woman's real granddaughter finally comes to, to see her when she's in the hospital bed. She's fine. She's alive. Yes. She's good. Yes. Um, um, we just we just see her being swept away, and it's just like this darkly bizarre yeah. moment in in the episode. Yeah, she's uh, because uh, Tycho is walking along the river, thinks she sees herself sort of caught and drowning, but it turns out to be the old woman who just gets right. swept away. Um, this this one was hard. This was a, yes. this is a very hard episode to get through. Um, uh, but there's there's like a lot of plot relevant information um, in this because Sukiko uh, is con- they confront her about causing the injury herself mm-hmm. and sort of at the height of the storm uh, when Taiko gets hit by a little slugger Sukiko sort of has a acts like she's hit she just sort of falls down yes is just hit by a little slugger in front of the detectives. Yeah, she has sort of a, a, a sympathetic attack uh, when Tycho gets gets struck, uh, like you're saying. Sukiko also faints, but she faints in such a way that it looks like she was also just smacked by a baseball bat and mm-hmm. like gets knocked out of her, her bed or chair. Um, Again, getting out of a, a tight corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then uh, see that um, Masami uh, is visiting uh, uh, Tycho in the hospital. Um, like very happy that you know she's alive and healthy and all that, but then she uh, giggles and asks them, "Who who are you?" Uh, having uh, gotten her wish and becoming uh, completely amnesic to to uh, everything before the attack, yeah. it seems. Yeah, and and again we have Hirokawa sort of as wished upon by Taiko, losing everything, not just. In, including his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the the heavier episodes. Of the, the, I think series. this and one more. Yeah, are are, are hard watches. Um, yeah. But that brings us to the last episode we'll be covering uh, for today, which is MHZ, or I mean, or more appropriately, Megahertz. Yep. Uh, this is directed by or storyboard and direction by Hiroshi Hamasaki. Uh, we have lead animation by Akiko Asaki and background direction by Ryu Kono. Um, and here we follow, we, we do pick up right where we left off with the various attacks on Taiko and Tsukiko passing out, uh, but we follow more of Manawa as he uh, sort of starts piecing things together, uh, sort of, allowing himself to be caught up in, I don't want to say the delusion of everything, but in the idea that they're not dealing with the regular crime. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Manawa is, is definitely like more open to the idea that the stuff going on is, is supernatural or paranormal or, or something along those lines in nature. Um, 
and that he tries to start uh, connecting the the dots between victims because um, he starts to notice like certain patterns, things like that. Um, and they they go back to Kozuka uh, trying to to figure out what exactly has been going on. Um, they this is sort of where they learn that uh, all of the victims uh, or most of the victims rather had felt cornered or pressured in their lives. This is when they sort of start making that connection and that they become relieved after their attack. Um, and then they also get Kozuka to admit that he only ever really attacked uh, Shogo Ushiyama and uh, Masami Hirokawa. The rest of them he had no actual dealing with. So those two are the only two that were performed by him. All the others are performed by the, the real little slugger that nobody seems to know who he actually is. Um, they during during Manuel starts like interviewing all of the mm-hmm. the uh, the victims, uh, and there's a very sort of cute scene where he is trying to interview uh, Shogo, and this poor kid is trying so hard to try and find something that he's worried about. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, Manuel kind of feels bad about it. <laughs> he just can't do it. It's um, yeah, Manawa is this is him slipping into things, not necessarily being cornered. So there's no little slugger. Although he dreams of little slugger. There there are a couple of dreams he has, one with the old man mm-hmm. and sort of the idea of uh like multiples uh-huh. uh and slipping through walls, which sort of leads, you know, feeds into his thinking that there's another little slugger. Um he also has this weird pirate radio station set up in, in a bat when in a I'm assuming the bedroom of his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um where he has been leaking the findings uh, or the things that he believes about Little Slugger. Uh like the very end of the episode is him broadcasting about how, you know, Little Slugger is still out there. The one you know, they didn't catch the right one. In his mind, he's trying to warn people about Little Slugger. Like, hey, here's what happens. If you're cornered emotionally, he, he'll show up. But all he's doing is just spreading the idea of Little Slugger and making mm-hmm. it more powerful throughout the yeah. throughout Japan. Yeah, he's very much sort of, there's like, there's very much a sort of like collective subconscious uh, kind of theming throughout this entire series as well. And this is definitely one of those examples where, uh, yeah, because of many was like broadcasting what he thinks is going on out into the world, it's it's possibly having some sort of effect and and causing whatever is manifesting little slugger to become far far worse. As they they you know Maniwa does all of this interviewing and and trying to connect all these dots, Akari is like. You're, you're getting in too deep. Why don't we take some time off? Like he shows him a time off form mm-hmm. as sort of a implicit, hey, take a break. We don't need to keep doing this. Um, to which they eventually find Kozuka dead in his uh, jail cell. Um, and uh, Little Slugger mysteriously escaping into the shadows of the, the, the police department. Like he just skates off through a wall, um, which then forces... Uh, Akari and Maniwa to retire um, because obviously they had a a elementary or like middle school Mm -hmm. kid die in their police department like holding cells it's not a good look 
Um, so they have to, you know, I think the chief even has to retire. Like yeah. The whole, yeah. It's, they, they messed up real bad. They messed uh, up real, real bad. So, yeah. So those two are, are forced into retirement uh, because of it. Um, and then I think at the end we see uh, Maniwa's uh, broadcasting station. And that's the, the finale of the episode. Yeah, this one was, a, again, kind of a more connective tissue uh-huh. uh, while seeing Maniwa giving in to the, the hysteria of it. All, all of these episodes seem very, or with this first half, you get the whole, with this episode in particular, it really shows the feedback loop mm-hmm. of all of this. And like, I think of anxiety and fear that's out there. Cause it's, yeah. it, it's, and you, you see it throughout the, it's throughout the whole series. You have the news reinforcing, mm-hmm. Hey, there's some kid in skates with a bat and watch out. Because you yeah. might be next. Uh, there's definitely a sensationalizing that is, that is going on through through the news. Because, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that is definitely a thing that has only gotten worse and worse over the years. But uh, uh, it's that sort of, like, explicit awareness of something that you should be afraid of um, with all these details and things like that really just kind of spreads that message even further. And, like, we see it initially with, like, the initial broadcasts and then the rumors that go around, uh, like, when we get to, like, Yuichi's episode and things like that, and then, you know, more and more news, and then we get Manuel's broadcast and all that stuff. So it's just setting it up, getting that message out there, getting sort of, like, the concept of, of Little Slugger out there and what how how he kind of operates, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just the... You're, you're, you're building the plane as you're flying. Uh-huh. You're, you're setting... You're, you're getting, yeah, you're, like you said with the poster, with the election poster, we're getting more and more details that, that's making this thing that, you know, is at this point very clearly <laughs> some other entity, some yeah. non-human thing. I, I forget, because I think we are shown that his bat is bent initially, but I don't think we ever get it described as that until like two or three episodes in. Um, mm. I, I mean... But, I don't remember off the top of my head yeah. if that's the case. Yeah, that's just like one of those things that I remember from when I first watched this series is how there's a bunch of like details about Little Slugger that build as the episodes go on. So he starts initially as like, you know, like I said, skates, hat, bat. And yeah. then it gets more and more details as like the myth, like the urban legend of him kind of grows throughout the series um, till the point where he is like fully realized in most people's heads. It's... Uh, and it's, it's such a good character design and such a good, like, just idea of some mysterious assailant. Because um, the, the sound of inline skates is very distinct. And, and you know, through several episodes, they are able to use that as, like, a, here he, you know, here he comes. Uh-huh. Um, the silhouette is just super. They give him, like, weird fuzzy hair sticking out of his ball cap. Mm-hmm. Um, the bent bat also adds to all of it. It's just, it's, they, it seems like they did put a lot of care and like knew that like, okay, this, he's going on the cover, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, we need to make sure that he's, he's pretty distinct. Do you want to hear more about the connections between this and Twin Peaks? Um, yeah, lay it on, yeah, 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 lay it on us while we're thinking uh, about it. So, so while I'm thinking about it, I think especially because of this, uh, this last episode, Megahertz, uh, that we're covering today. 
Um, there is a thing in in Twin Peaks where I guess this is kind of, this is kind of spoilery, but it, electricity in Twin Peaks is a method of conveyance to spirits, spiritual entities in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. So Lynch uses like the sound of like buzzing electricity a lot of times to uh convey that there is a a spiritual or you know something along those lines happening like whenever like a a a, whenever there is something explicitly like supernatural going on you will get like harsh crackling electricity noises like the sounds of like transformers and and um like electrical relay stations power lines that sort of like buzzing as things happening and that i feel like there's there's sort of like a a a similar device being used here with like way back at the start of the episode when we were talking about how like it's a lot of electronic communications it's cell Mm -hmm. phones it's texting it's emails things like that um and then you know we get stuff like the tv news we get stuff like radio broadcasts all that stuff that's all sort of i can see that all drawing parallels to each other in a lot of ways where mm-hmm. the the sort of mysterious supernatural angle of little slugger in this series is being carried through electronic signals of a sort um that that's something that just that just kind of jumped out at me rewatching the the series so far no that that absolutely tracks I, if we ever meet david lynch i think we need to hold him down and like how much <laughs> do you know about satoshi Kon? <laughs> I, w- I would love to I would love to know if David Lynch has ever watched any anime, <laughs> let alone Satoshi Kon. <laughs> Turns out he only watches Dragon Ball. <laughs> um, and I love it. <laughs> All my friends: Goku, Piccolo, <laughs> Vegeta. <laughs> Vegeta. Well, we see. I think we picked a, the right amount of episodes to cover for this. Definitely. Because it is, you get your big introduction to all of our main players for the most part. Uh, it still stays in line with that. A character we see in the episode before becomes the focus of the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, where the others, I think, and, it, and it's like the very beginning of the more supernatural elements of the show where I think the first half is very much like, no, this, it it still could just be, it's what is reality. These are the, you know, delusions and of, of different people where the second half is like, well, yes, but (laughs) yes, but yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, anything, anything else for this first half of paranoia agent? Um, I mean, nothing's nothing else is really jumping out at me. I, I I really enjoyed going back to this series. It's been a very long time. It's been, probably been since the the original broadcast here in the states since I had last seen it. Oh so, wow! Um, yeah, I'm sure I've seen like little bits and pieces. Like I definitely watched that opening here and there over the years. But yeah, this series just like st- stuck with me in such a weird way that uh, I'm glad that we're finally getting into it. Like <laughs> like you said. This is one of the the shows that when we were first coming up with the podcast, like if we did like, you know, if Cowboy Bebop did well, what are we going to do after that? And like Paranoia Agent was like one of the first things that came to our minds. So um, it's it's been real cool to come back to it. And I'm, I can't wait to finish it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 
I also got to say, best bumpers in the game. It's very absolutely. Good, yes. I like because I think I found. I got uh, you know I, a couple years back they started releasing all the all of re-releasing all of Satoshi Kon's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I watched the video by Super Eye Patch Wolf. I think mm. he did one on Paranoia Agent, and so I. But you know it wasn't at the time it was not easily available, um, so I borrowed it from a friend online and just like burned through it and like I th- I think the same thing on this rewatch where it's like it's. It's a very watchable show. Like it's it's easy mm-hmm. to go through, despite some of its harsher uh, subject matter. It's just it's it's immensely like enjoyable and commercial, and definitely mm-hmm. not as like Twin Peaks light, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I could I sense. could see that. Like it's I mean, like you said, it has sort of that an anthology kind of nature to it, so it's a little bit easier to just like jump in in a in and out of episodes without feeling like you're missing too much. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to strain yourself to really remember what happened the last episode because it's not going to be super connected other than like hey, little slugger is here. Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks yeah. is a much more kind of active watch and boy, that second season. <laughs> <sighs> um but yeah, no, uh, it's 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 been a blast so far. Uh, uh, I, I'm I'm real interested to see how these last few episodes go because I, I don't remember them quite as well as some of these first ones. That yeah, that's for sure because it it goes off some rails. Um, yeah. There, uh, the last thing I'll say is that this show also feels like, and we'll get. I think we'll get more evidence of this. In one episode in particular, it feels like this hold over from like Y2K and like this sort of psychic buildup of like we're changing over to a new millennium and like what does that mm-hmm. mean? You know, not com- weird computer bug aside, like it, there was a lot of apprehension during that time and there was a lot of anxiety of like, what this change means. And it's like, and it is technically, it's also technically in a post nine 11 world on top of that. Whereas am I saying that paranoia agent was affected by the events of September 11th? Maybe. Maybe. Um, Look, I think, (laughs) I think a lot of things, whether or not you were in the (laughs) States or not, ended up being affected by the ramifications of nine 11. Yeah. But it's, but it's it's a it's a show about the fear and anxiety of change of maybe wanting to change but not knowing how to or wanting uh, or or, even, or not wanting to change and you know wanting yeah. to stay in the sort of delusional state as some characters do. I mean, yeah, all all shows and stories are about change, but like. Yeah. Thematically, this is like an overall like. There's some there's fear there's some real like fear in the air of every episode. Yeah, it's I think they're just kind of piggyback off of that. It's the the fear and the change for sure, especially going into the, like the new millennium. Even though it's a few years in, it's still like whatever like this new world, this new time that we're going into. Um, but also just like the stress of the modern condition, I think Mm -hmm. like having to live in a, you know, I mean, let alone like 
Japanese society and culture, but the increasingly like global nature of society and culture, like having to live in that, having to deal with the systems and the constructs that go on and not knowing if you have enough to bear certain responsibilities, not knowing enough if you have enough, you know, fortitude to to take the blame for something, to to accept your responsibility, to accept that you did something wrong in order to, you know, potentially protect yourselves. Having mm-hmm. being able to confront that, I think is all just like a real big part of this series. Yeah. And it's and again we'll see it towards the end where it's like of course that want to be free of a responsibility is represented by like a big pink dog. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just a, a, a hapless, you know, who keeps talking to Sukiko and advising and like, no, you're doing your right thing. Yeah. Please keep forgetting about the past. Yeah. Because um, I guess we kind of didn't go into it that much, but Sukiko is like routinely talked to, like re-interviewed by our, our detective pair, uh, uh, Akari and Maniwa. Like they, they routinely go back to her to just kind of like, you know, get more details, things like that to talk about like. Like the attack and, and things like that. So and she also sees stuff that's on the TV and, and things like that. So we get little bits here and there about Tsukiko and her her talking Baromi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. This is this has been nice. Uh, it, it's been a good rewatch for sure, uh, and I've, I've enjoyed sitting here talking to you about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so yeah. So next time. Uh, we'll be going through episodes eight through thirteen, finishing out the series. Uh, and, and, you know, that'll, that'll be it for, for Paranoia Agent next time. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I'd like to thank everybody for coming and listening. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can email us at thinkingtohardpod at gmail.com. You can get at us on Twitter at thinkinganime. Uh, if you would like to follow me personally. Hi, I'm Noah, by the way. Uh, if you somehow forgot who this was talking. Um... <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Kamen Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Um, I also have a Twitch that I am slowly but surely trying to get back into. I know I say that like almost every time. But uh, I've been thinking about doing like some late night, no microphone streams of just me Ooh. building models and, and things like that. So if you're interested in that, come over to twitch.tv slash Again, that's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Uh, and yeah, Aaron, what are you up to? Um, you can find me, I guess over on Twitter. I haven't been doing too much of my personal account there, but if you're, if you're feeling froggy at Aaron J. Shelton over on Twitter, um, you can find me on my other podcast, the bizarro version of this one, Kame House Party, where myself and Vince White, uh, we're going through every episode and iteration of Dragon Ball and, uh, we are doing some improv comedy along the way. Uh, we also stream uh, usually every Thursday at around 8 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv slash comedy house party, uh, where we are playing a variety of games and having a variety of fun. What, where, are, where are you in Dragon Ball Z right now? We are finally off Namek, and we are in the filler uh, between that and Frieza coming back to Earth and the introduction of Trunks. Okay, so, so Garlic the, Jr.'s back. The Garlic Jr. saga. Mm-hmm. The... We got we met Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about certain things. <laughs> uh, her. 
Um, yeah, the the part of the series that is a continuation of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, just kind of, just kind of doubling down because they needed some time. Yep. Yep. But huh? uh, yeah, that's where we're at, and uh, I think stay tuned. Stay. Uh, Vince and I usually do a charity stream uh, towards the end of October, beginning of November. So if you want, uh, follow Kame House Party on whatever, you know, social that you use. We're, you, we're, except for Facebook, I think we're probably on everything. But follow along for that to get details about that. Um, so you can know where to donate to a good cause and watch us stream games or just be, be dumb in general. For, but live. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, that'll do it for this month. Uh, join us again next month, like I said, for the second half of Satoshi Conehead's Paranoia Agent. Uh, and again, thank you very much for listening. Rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It helps us out greatly. Um, if you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can certainly do that. That's available on our anchor page. Uh, anchor.fm slash T-T-H-A-A where you can donate 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Uh, That goes into our little pockets to help us keep the show up and running and getting our hands on on some anime Mm -hmm. or anime adjacent items. Um, You can donate once and just cancel it right after if you'd like or you can keep that up for however long you feel comfortable with. We Totally appreciate it. Uh, and thank you out there to our, our handful of people who are donating currently. It means the world to us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, and yeah, so until then, I've been Noah Carden. I've been Aaron J. Shelton. And we've been thinking too hard. Thank you.